JMO skill set. Yeah. Peel that peel that back a little bit. When you say the JMO skill set, what do you mean by that? Well, we talk a lot about the right type of roles for our client companies to consider a JMO being a high complexity role. And so if they start with the type of role being high complex, it means a role that requires a lot of skills that are hard to find in one person. Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of the Camera Books Podcast, Above and Beyond. Excited to bring this episode to you. So on this episode, we interview Lauren Kordzik. Lauren is actually a team member here at Cameron Brooks. She works uh, on the part of our business that interacts with companies, those companies who want to hire military officers. So I hope this episode is interesting to you because you hear firsthand from the person who works directly with companies. And so a lot of this conversation centers around what companies are looking for and hoping to give you a little bit of a, a, a peek over the fence, if you will, on why companies partner with Cameron Brooks, why they attend a conference, and really what they're looking for. So she has firsthand knowledge. Her background is really interesting. She actually spent a lot of her time early in her career at the FBI before coming to Camera Book, so she'll get into that as well. But anyway, I think you'll really like this episode because it really gives you a different perspective. A lot of times military officers are focused on how are they gonna prepare to interview and don't really get to think as much about what companies are actually looking for. The interesting thing, one of the conclusions that we reached early on is a lot of the things that she talks about with companies in terms of um, how to understand a military officer's background, how to appreciate your leadership, is actually a lot of the things that we talk about with military officers themselves. So there is some parallels and some overlaps, and I think you'll really appreciate that. So I hope you take a lot away from the conversation. If you want to know more about who we are, what we do, obviously you can find a wealth of knowledge on our website, Cameron-Brooks.com. Um, also, pick up a copy of PCS to Corporate America. There's literally 80 years of combined experience in those pages of uh, advice and guidance in helping a military officer move from the military to corporate America. And then if you just want to have a conversation, if you want to talk with me about your options, your plans, your goals, you can always reach me directly. Reach out to me at Pete at Cameron-Brooks.com. Shoot me an email and I'll most certainly get back to you. Okay, without further ado, here's my conversation with Lauren. All right, Lauren. Uh, thank you so much for joining our podcast today. I'm excited for this one because most of the time when we interview people, there are candidates who came through the program. You obviously have been at Camera Books over 12 years now. Just over 10. 10 years, okay. I'm in my 11th year. Um, you've just seen a lot from a company perspective, companies that want to hire military officers. So, uh, just want to hear your voice and, and explore some of that with you for the officers, because I think this is something they don't get much of. Absolutely, Pete. I've been looking forward to our time together. All right. So let's start with people need to know who you are and your background. So just like, you know, as every candidate goes through this, as they're preparing for the conference, why don't you tell me about yourself? Sure, sure. So uh, I moved around a lot when I was young. My dad was Air Force and then in the business world, but we relocated quite a bit. But I graduated high school in Austin, Texas, 
And then I went to college at Texas A&M University. And from that university, I was recruited by the FBI. So I moved to DC right after college. And I was an intelligence analyst in DC and in Houston for about three years. And then I was fortunate enough to join the Cameron Brooks team in 2011 when my husband and I relocated back to Texas uh, for his cattle ranching business. And in fact, I heard about Cameron Brooks because a good friend of mine from college was going through as a JMO candidate. So um, neat to be connected with Cameron Brooks some number of years ago. I've been working at Cameron Brooks since that time. And I live in Fredericksburg with my husband and we have three children. My oldest daughter is eight, and then my sons are six and three. Okay, so back up, because you just brushed over it like it was just a thing. But people, I assume, don't typically get recruited to the FBI from Texas a <laughs> So um, tell me more. What is it? What did you do? So they recruit from, they call it key schools at the time. And Obviously, their recruiting strategies change over time. I don't know if it's still um, one of the key schools, but because of the Bush School at Texas A&M, they recruit from there. And so I was young. I was inexperienced. Um, I went to training and there were... Wait, wait training Quantico? Training in Quantico, doing yes. Doing the, the, you know, all the things... Not all of the things that you see on the movie. So I was the okay. nerd. So I had, <laughs> I, I lived at Quantico for a couple of months, yeah. um, but really like the, the computer systems, I was embedded in a tactical unit. So I got some of the training that is more glamorous. So you're just you like Jack Ryan, basically. Yeah, but quite the opposite. <laughs> I wear glasses a lot. <laughs> Look at a lot of screens. Oh, that's good. I know that that is, I, of course, I've heard that story. Lauren and I are good friends, but uh, I think that's pretty fun. Pretty good, pretty good background. Yeah. All right. So tell, tell us what you do here at Cameron Brooks then. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I, like Pete mentioned, I've been here more than 10 years and it's really been an interesting journey because when I started at Cameron Brooks, I started as the assistant to uh, the then CEO, Renee Brooks, the Brooks of Cameron Brooks. And it was an incredible time to really learn the business from the founder. Um, she's an excellent leader. She is a mentor to me still today. So I worked under Renee for a year and then I moved to the client side of the business. So I work with our client companies. So, you know, my goal along with the entire client team is really just to provide impeccable customer service to our client companies. So to best represent our JMO candidates to them. And it's really a responsibility that, that we take really seriously here. But, um, you know, sometimes it's framed up as this civilian military divide. And the first time I heard that term, it just really resonated with me. It's actually in a LinkedIn veteran opportunity report. But they, they talk about the civilian military divide as really the gap in knowledge, the gap in understanding between veterans and the general public. So the way I view my role and the client side of the of the company is is really bridging that. Um, so you know, hiring managers don't naturally understand a JMO's capabilities. So I help them everything from helping them understand a JMO's skill set to you know how to approach the JMO candidate pool. Um, I work with them to understand their hiring needs and 
We're a partner to our client companies for the entirety of the hiring process. So that means from, you know, talking about their individual role to participating in a conference, going beyond that to second round interviews, offer decisions. And then I get even beyond that too, um, because once our client companies meet our JMO candidates, they get hooked. They're, they're excited. They're jazzed up. Um, about hiring and they want to come back and do that again and they want to improve their candidate value proposition. So I guess that's what I would do is, is go back and, you know, get, get feedback on that. It's a service we provide to our client companies. Okay. So, so let's say you're working with a company for the first time mm-hmm. and they come to you and they're like, Hey, we're looking for a JMO. They, they probably don't even use that term JMO, but what, why would a company come outside of their normal hiring practice to bring in someone with no experience in the industry or company into one of their key leadership roles? Like, why do they, what, what's the why behind that? Or what's the why that they give you? Yeah, every, every company, every conversation is a little bit different, but to generalize it, I would say they call because they have a need that's not being met you know, a business case for reaching out. Maybe they can't find what they want from the pool of applicants that they're receiving. Uh, Maybe the company's growing, needing to scale, um, and they need a different type of leader. Maybe they need to elevate the capabilities of the team that they currently have. So every company, every, every person calls with a little bit different flavor, but I would summarize it all. They, they need something. One of the things that, that, you know, even an officer that doesn't have any experience in corporate America, or maybe their background academically doesn't point to business. One of the things that, that we coach them and kind of teach them to talk a lot about is just lead with your leadership. How much do companies talk to you? Okay, so great, they have a need, it's an unfit, un, unmet need or an unfilled position. But getting over the hurdle of inexperience, has to, there has to be a bridge for that. What do they say to you about that? About getting over the hurdle of experience? Inexperience, right? You know, like, great, we have, we have a need that we usually fill with someone with experience. And so there's definitely a chasm or a, a gap that, that, that they're willing to accept mm-hmm. in, in order to bring in this inexperienced candidate. And so... Do they talk to you about leadership? Do they talk about that? Ah, we'll teach them what they need. Like, what do they say to you in that way? Yeah, well, you know, again, each one is a little different, but there has to be that business case that makes the non-traditional candidate, in this case, the JMO skill set, more valuable than the traditional background, right? And And for some conversations, you know, it ends there because the non-traditional background is not more valuable than the traditional background. So think about roles that are highly specialized training um, that's needed or you know, some functional experience where you can't be successful without it. What would be an example of that? <clears throat> Maybe a really technical role that needs some mechanical, some design experience. Okay. Um, you know, we, we often talk with, or maybe it's a team or a hiring manager who's not willing to bend on their requirements. Okay. 
because, because a lot of hiring managers are totally willing to bend on the requirement for what you just said, the JMO skill set. Yeah. Peel that, peel that back a little bit. When you say the JMO skill set, what do you mean by that? Well, we talk a lot about the right type of roles for our client companies to consider a JMO being a high complexity role. And so if they start with the type of role being high complex, it means a role that requires a lot of skills that are hard to find in one person. And so that means it's hard to find candidates for it. So I'm talking about, you know, really just a constellation of characteristics like are they malleable? Does the, does the candidate have a bias for action? Are they self-aware? You know, are they really motivated to learn? Can they be customer facing? And when you start talking about this long list of skills that are required for the role, that's when this non-traditional JMO skill set becomes really interesting to them because they can't find it. It's hard to find. Um, and in some of the functional candidate experience and ones that, you know, may be coming from a competitor of theirs or who meet all of the check all of the boxes, you know, on Indeed from their resume. This is very different. And so the roles that are highly complex that they can't find candidates off of their traditional hiring methods that's when it becomes interesting to them. One of the recurring themes on this podcast, in my mind, at least in the conversation that I've had, is this idea of bias for action, yeah. especially because in my own experience, I started as a medical device sales rep and I have no medical sales, no experience, like absolutely zero experience in that. But I use that as the example a lot of times with officers in that you don't need a lot of times companies are willing to bend on all this experience stuff just for, it's not the only thing, but a bias for action. Mm-hmm. Do you ever hear that feedback or is that, is that the most important thing? Do you ever hear the most important thing to a company or maybe it's just so variable? Yeah, I hear it a lot, Pete. I think it depends on the role, mm-hmm. but it does come through in different ways. A sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. You know, some companies will say that I just need someone with a sense of urgency. We're growing so quickly. Um, others will, especially sales roles, will talk about, you know, the grit factor to go in and knock down doors and, and not hear no. So it comes through that flavor in a lot of different ways, but I'd say it depends on, it depends on each role. Do you ever have a company say, you know, I wish your pool of candidates, even, even ones that pursue officers and give them, you know, make hires and things of this nature. Do you, do you ever hear anyone say, I wish your candidates had more X? Hmm. <laughs> you know, every hiring manager wants the ideal candidate, the okay. The unicorn, the purple squirrel, whatever you want to talk, however you want to, (laughs) yeah, however you want to classify it, but they want someone who has all of the, all of the traditional experience and they want all of the JMO skill set too, right? That would be the ideal. Someone who's, you know, worked in that space and has all of these characteristics that we talk about, Um, all of the unique skills that a JMO brings and that functional experience. They and in some ways, I, I think about it as they want something different and they want something the same, right. maybe because that makes them feel more comfortable. But the reality is, and especially in our current times, 
they know that with JMOs that it's a non-traditional hire, right? And so they are willing and able to trade that functional experience from their industry for the talent, for the right behaviors. Let's talk, let me change gears on here. Let's talk a little bit about companies that don't have experience hiring military officers, maybe mm-hmm. that you pursue or that pursue us, right? You know that maybe a company would be a good fit. So maybe start here, because again, this is something that we really don't talk about with the officers. This is, you know, I, I hesitate to say this is your side of the business because we are one organization Absolutely. helping two groups of two groups of customers, if you will. But what is the process for getting a new client? Well, I think I have to go all the way back to the beginning of the company because in the beginning, Roger Cameron and Renee Brooks built the company and established a network of clients. And, and there was, you know, reaching out, forming brand new relationships at that point in time. But since that time, we've built a network of alumni um, and it's a bit self-perpetuating. I mean, they come back and one statistic I was actually looking at in, in the year 2021, our year in review, over 98% of our client relationships were in some way linked to an alumni relationship. And the reason I am really excited about that is because it shows that we did a good job in our partnership with our, with our JMOs, so much so that when they become hiring managers, they wanna come back. Um, but there's several different flavors of that also. So it could be a JMO coming back as an alumni directly as a hiring manager. It could also be someone who's worked with one of our alumni and been really impressed with that. It could be someone who worked with a JMO and then went to another company and calls from their new relationship. But in some way, 98% of our relationships are from alumni. So it, you know, it, it comes in waves. It comes in different industries, different companies, because our alumni network is so large um, that were really spread across a good swath of the business world. One of the um, one of the ways that I or one of the ways I'm interpreting what you're saying is, you know, you said we do a good job with our partnerships with the officers, and what I think about is companies don't get burned, right? They don't have a bad experience. They come to Camera Brooks, they hire an officer that, and how do they? How does ultimate? How would they ultimately get burned? An officer leaves you know, six, nine, 12 months. And that's one of the things that we do talk a lot about with military officers conducting a broad career search in order to avoid the career do-over. So we talk about career do-overs on the JMO side, but on the client side or the company side, it's as important for similar but different reason. And so I like what you're saying, this idea of self-perpetuation. Companies find value through Cameron Brooks because they find people that that desire to launch their career and successfully do launch their career through the search. So, okay, that's good. I'm glad, I'm glad I asked you that because that is a good connection. Hopefully those that are listening can feel the connection between avoiding the do over and companies being completely satisfied with finding a team member that can really bring value to the organization. One of the things I hear you got, you talk about specifically occasionally with companies um, who want to hire a JMO is, hey, I don't think we're a good fit, <laughs> meaning we're not going to invite you company to our conference. 
how do you tell a company? Why do you tell a company no? How do you tell a company no? Because those that are listening to this podcast be like, don't tell a company no. Bring them all. I want to, I want them all. But, but tell me more about, I guess, the vetting process, if you will, for yeah. a company. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question because sometimes it's hard, Pete. And, uh, you know, I've, I've gained confidence over the years and having the difficult conversation of, hey, this is not quite the right fit. But we do it, um, and it takes a lot of time because we do it individually. And I think it's not unlike the way that we approach our candidate relationships. We do it one conversation at a time um, in a very tailored approach. So the reason that we might tell them no um, is because it, it may not be a value proposition that's interesting to the candidate. And I think when it's that case, the companies appreciate that we're respecting their time enough that um, you know they're not going to participate in a conference when they cannot be competitive, whether it be in the type of company, whether it be in the level of the role, whether it be in the compensation. You know, another another interesting stat that I often think about from this LinkedIn veteran opportunity report that came in a few years ago is that over a third of veterans are underemployed. And I think about the value that we provide to our client companies. And and it is there because it's hard for companies to know how to approach this JMO pool. They don't really fit into a new hire, a new college graduate. JMOs don't fit all of the boxes of an experienced hire often without some working ahead, without working ahead. So that's the space that we play in is, hey, here's, here's the trade-offs that you have with the JMO skill set. Are you able and willing to consider that? And when they don't or they're not able to, then it's often, you know, it's often easy to kind of part ways and we part ways as friends and say, you know, hopefully with another opening, let's talk about your next opening that you have. Maybe it'll be right at that time. Willing to flex on it. Yeah. This might be something that's interesting to officers. How do you, how do you maybe sell the JMO background a little bit? Let's say you get a, a cold call. Someone calls you up, say, hey, I hear you work with veterans or I hear you work with officers. And they don't have a good grasp. Like they haven't been to a conference. They, I, I know companies get excited. Once they, they may even be a little skeptical. Then they come to the conference like, oh, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. But let's say you're talking to a company who has never been to a career conference, never met a high potential military officer. Um, what are some of the things that you say to them about a JMO's background to help them better understand the value of just to use the phrase we've been using, the JMO skill set. Yeah, well, and I think it's an important distinction between, you know, a Cameron Brooks candidate and a JMO skill set overall. And so something that I talk a lot, Pete, about with our client companies is that you're starting, you know, with a, with a talented group of people in JMOs but our process for selecting candidates and offering partnership, you know, is expansive. And, and the candidates that we partner with and who choose to partner with us do a lot of preparation. A distinction between 
the JMO skill set and a Cameron Brooks candidate. So, you know, there are other avenues for JMOs to find roles. There are other recruiting firms that our client companies can work with. But what our client companies know and expect from a Cameron Brooks candidate is very different than from a JMO skill set overall. And I was talking with one hiring manager um, last week, and he said it's a cornucopia of talent with Cameron Brooks. And I love that. I love that mental picture of a cornucopia of talent. So they expect, you know, a, a highly screened, highly qualified, and a highly talented pool of candidates from Cameron Brooks. And that's what we deliver to them. Um, one of the things you, I, I don't, I don't, I, I get to talk to alumni of our program pretty often, fairly often about career management, sometimes through this podcast, but you talk to alumni a bunch because as you mentioned earlier, they come back to want to hire more, more military officers. And so, you know, those that are listening to this podcast that have yet to come to a career conference will come to a conference, uh, launch their business career, and then come back and talk to you when they're ready to come hire more military officers, right? That, that's generally the process that you see or that you described earlier. What's it like to talk to someone who you remember as a candidate or you help them navigate the follow-up interview process in order to make their selection? And now we're three, four, five years or more down the road, and they're coming back to you as a hiring manager. Tell me, tell me a little, tell us a little bit about what that's like. Oh, it's one of my favorite parts of, of my role. Just the continuation of relationships from working with the JMO as a candidate. And that's a really pivotal point in their life. And they're putting a lot of trust in us. And then through to accepting a role and then coming back as a hiring manager. And if they're calling as a hiring manager, then they've obviously had some success in their career so it's really neat to hear about their progression, too, to catch up on what's been going on since the last time we've talked. Um, so we sometimes reflect on their transition experience. You know, remember when I was stuck between a marketing role and a consulting role? And isn't it funny how the last five years have gone? So it's familiar and, in, and we have a foundation to build on. This is a, is a question that just came up as you're describing that. What do you, if you were to give a JMO in the Cameron Brooks program, kind of matriculating through the DPP in preparation for, for a conference. Can you come up with, you know, a little bit of advice? Like what would you, okay, I give advice all the time. I give coaching, I give advice, I guide people in certain ways. From your seat, with your amount of experience in this company and your level of expertise as it relates to working with companies and helping officers through the follow-up interview process, what advice would you tell someone today that has yet to come to a conference? My advice would be to give yourself choice. And I'm a millennial, so Gen Y, Gen Z, we love choices. Uh, and especially when you're making such a big step of an industry change, you're entering into a new type of career. You know, I think giving yourself options where you can really explore different types of work. It's funny, Pete, you and I were just talking before we started this podcast about our kiddos and, you know, career exploration. And I see that in a way of, of you know, instead of getting focused on one aspect of a role, whether that be one industry, one type of job, you know, one location, give yourself choice 
um, so that you can make a good decision. Because often when I talk with alumni um, who, you know, they, they, they talk about appreciating having that big exposure and it made them more sure of their decision. Have you seen that go in a, the opposite direction? And, you know, I don't, I'm not looking for horror stories, I guess, but what about when people don't do that? Or have you, I don't know, gosh, have you ever seen anyone make a bad choice? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and a lot of times it's for the wrong reason. So it might've been something that was, you know, more immediate. Also, also my generation and, and younger, you know, we're really focused and there's lots of studies on, you know, the, the immediate, what's right in front of us is really important to us right now. And it has to be, mm -hmm. but when you're looking longer term, then your choice factors change, or maybe you have more. And so what we talk with companies about is, is like the long term, you know, what, what is your, what is your idea for this type of a hire for the long term? Mm -hmm. And that's actually something that we're talking with companies about of whether they're a good placement for our JMO candidates also, because there's got to be something compelling that they're investing in this candidate for the long term. Yeah. So similarly with our JMO candidates, you know, are they looking at something that's going to give them options to get where they want in the long term? It, you know, you, you've been here going on 11. I've been here a little bit less than that. But one of the things that that Roger built this company on is building a career, not just finding a job. Mm -hmm. And so I just love the fact that you're talking to companies in the same language or in the same concepts that we're talking to military officers, which is not like, hey, come fill a gap. Hey, come find a job, but be thinking medium and longer term in order to make the best choice. You know, be thinking, you know, is this role going to get me to where I want to be five, 10, 15 years down the road? And it's harder for a candidate to see 10, 10, 15 years down the road, but it's a, you can see that five-year target. And is this where, is this going to set me up for my next milestone, which would set me up for my next milestone? So I just really mm -hmm. appreciate the fact that you're talking to companies about long-term decisions the way we're talking to officers about making long-term decisions. All right, yeah. let me, uh, we're going to land the plane here. I have two more questions here. Number one, so... We, for those listening, we have these things called company outbriefs, meaning at the conference, Lauren and a couple of other people sit with companies and, uh, and go through, hey, how did the interviews go? What do you think about John and Sally and Sue and kind of go through all of those? What's the weirdest thing? Kind of a weird question. What's the weirdest thing you've ever heard in a company outbrief at a conference? Oh, man. Well, there's been, you know, there's been countless companies talking about oh no they thought we were this company or we thought we you know they got confused on on right. what we do they called me the wrong name um and that's very natural i mean interviewing is tough it's tough for the jmo candidates it's tough for the companies too they get nervous also but one of my favorite memories and pete you've probably heard this before it goes back to our in-person conferences mm -hmm. where the interviews were conducted in an interview suite at the hotel. Right. And I do remember one company in the outbrief, uh, the company representative, he told me, um, you know, the, the JMO candidate did a great job in the interview. They, they were both nervous. They shook hands. 
And then the JMO candidate tried to leave the interview. But instead of going out the exit, the candidate actually walked into the closet. Oh, oh gosh. And I think the funniest part about it to me was just picturing that. <laughs> and, and the company recruiter said, so he came back out of the closet. <laughs> <laughs> And we just kind of looked at each other, neither one of us knowing what to do. So we shook hands again, and then he left pretty quickly after that. So, so tell, tell me there's a happy ending to that story. Tell yes. me that person he was did pursued well. by the company. He did. He did. And I bet, that, I bet that candidate was very memorable throughout the process because of it. So there, So listen, you can, you can you know, call a company a wrong name or walk through the wrong door, and, uh, and it won't torpedo your... Yes. Your, uh, you can chances. overcome a lot. You can overcome. <laughs> okay, final question. And this question, I think, is really, um, in, it's a question I get a lot. And I think it's important to people that are leaving the military. One of the, one of the things I hear from military officers all the time is I'm frustrated with the work-life balance. I, I, I want to work hard. I want to make contributions. I want to bring value. Um, but it's difficult in the military to, to balance those two things. As a as a as a mom, as a wife, as a hardworking employee at Cameron Brooks, and we work shoulder to shoulder, so I know how hard you work. How do you how do you personally make the balance in order to have a successful, thriving professional career and a successful, thriving life outside of work? Yeah, I have a lot of respect for JMOs who are concerned about that. Um, leaving the FBI, that was a big factor that I was considering too. And this is personal um, outlook, but I think balance is a funny word. And for, for my life right now, I think a better word for it is integration. Um, I cannot fully separate out, nor do I want to, my family from my work, my work from my family. But I have to prioritize that activities and I have to manage my time well to do well at all. So, you know, whether it's integrating, you know, sometimes I'll leave work early a couple hours so I can go to the playground with my kids and then I plug back in after they're in bed. You know, sometimes my husband will come and take a quick walk with me during my lunch break and I love those times together. Um, you know, sometimes work is, is more the focus and it has to be, but then I intentionally make time for other things that are important to me. For me, that's my family, my kids, my faith. Um, so it's, it's got to be managing time well. I guess the other thing that really works well for me that I found is that I wake up early. Mm -hmm. And in those early morning hours, there's not a lot of um, distraction. So for me, it's my time to read to pray, to exercise. Sometimes it's to get my work done without any interruption. So I, I would say the integration is better for me, um, but I think that's very individual to each person. It's really good. I, uh, I don't think military officers are averse to waking up early. I think their circadian rhythm puts them right in spots for that. That's super helpful. I like the idea. I like the integration word as opposed to the balance word because you're right. I mean, it just it ebbs and flows based on what's going on, but super helpful. Well, Lauren, uh, any final parting words or ideas to our JMO candidates who listen to this podcast regularly? Anything that you'd like to share as we land this plane? 
No, I'm, I'm open to more questions. I appreciate the opportunity getting to speak with you, Pete, and, and maybe to a larger audience. So thank you. All right, Lauren, thanks so much for your time. Um, really insightful, very helpful for our candidates to know a little bit more about how we as a company, and you specifically, work with companies in that part of the process. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Pete. And to the JMOs or anyone listening, I look forward to working with you. One of my favorite parts of the role also is getting to know each of our individual candidates during our second round interview process. So I hope that we get to work together in the future. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Lauren. I hope that some of the things that she and I talked about today are helpful to you in better understanding what companies are looking for and how to prepare to meet those companies. Our next episode, which will launch in two weeks, will feature a conversation that I'll have with one of our alumni about career progression. As I mentioned in the intro, if you want to know more about who we are, what we do, you can find a lot of information at Cameron-Brooks.com. If you want to have a conversation with me directly about your marketability, about your plans and goals, or about future career opportunities, hit me, hit me with an email. You can reach me directly at Pete. P-E-T-E at Cameron-Brooks.com. Until next time, you guys have a wonderful day.